Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Those of us alive to witness it marveled on June 16, 1969, as astronauts first stepped onto the moon. And we further marveled as they would leap across broad spaces. We couldn't help but recall our science teachers teaching us about reduced gravity on the moon. Of course, in the years since, we've been mesmerized by the free movement of astronauts in the weightless spacecrafts as they move from place to place and send objects flying gently through the air. Some people call what the astronauts experience free flight. In other words, it it is when the spacecraft or a rocket or a missile is not propelled by an engine thrust and so there is no gravity or the rocket moves beyond the Earth's gravity and there is unassisted or uncontained flight. It causes us, I think, to wonder what it must feel like to be completely free of gravity, of weightedness. Of course, only a few people have had that experience in space. And this weightlessness can so captivate our imagination that literally today you can pay to ride on an airplane that will drop free and allow you to float free for a very short time and experience what that weightlessness feels like. And what of our other weightedness? Not just the pull of the Earth's gravity that holds us to the Earth, but the weight we carry in our hearts and our minds and our souls. What of the sorrows and sadness, disappointments, anxieties, and fears of our daily living, of the circumstances of our country, of the problems in our world and in all of creation now. This weightedness, I think, is, is really a part of what the genre of the blues gives to us. The, the blues moan, the reminder that things are not as they should be, in the world. And we hear that today in in the gospel. Jesus Jesus has a heart weighted weighed down by what is happening in his world. The temple authorities run amok. The political authorities occupying his country. 
If you know something about the Gospel of John, you know that its previous manifestation was considered a book called The Signs, The Gospel of the Signs. And it's because the Gospel of John is centered or organized into the six miraculous signs Jesus performs in the course of his public ministry. The first of these signs is when Jesus turned water into wine during a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Don't you wish you'd been there? Our reading we just heard comes immediately on the heels of that wedding story. So it's very early in Jesus' ministry. The performance of that sign at Cana is the first of the signs, and it's early in the Gospel of John. Now, we also know that during, at the end of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we also hear this story of Jesus angrily entering the temple and clearing it, condemning the, destru- the corruption of the traitor's activities. They say that Jesus said, you have made this a den of robbers. But John's version puts the story in a different light, not just since it happens at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry rather than its end, but puts it in a different light because the gospel we just heard says not that it is a den of robbers, but a marketplace. You have turned my Abba's house into a marketplace. Jesus is not angry about markets. They were what were needed to keep people alive with food and, 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 uh, and other things. But Jesus is angry about the market system of the temple, the sacrificial system that is in place. And that's the point, isn't it? Jesus, through his action, signals that it's time for that system to go. The system that weighs down the faith of the people. The system that imposes costs on what it means to be a person of faith. The writer tells us that the Passover is near. The Jewish high holy festival that speaks of the deliverance from bondage that their ancestors had experienced. And make no mistake, the Jewish people are bound now. They're bound by the religious authorities and their system of faith gone awry and the political authorities who impose this strict rule of living over an occupied country and an oppressed people. There are actually three Passover stories in the Gospel of John. The last one coinciding with Jesus' crucifixion. But here, here at the beginning of the story, is Jesus' public ministry. And it begins approximately two years prior to his death. The first sign at the wedding at Cana has just happened, and though only his disciples, mother, and a few servants are aware of it. And so now... Jesus truly goes public in a big way, in a bold way, a provocative drama. 
in the most prestigious Jewish space of all, in the most prestigious holy festival of the year, the days just prior to Passover. Jesus forms a whip of cords to run the traitors out of the temple because there were no weapons allowed in the temple. To do away with this market then was to strike at the very heart of the sacrificial system itself. The system was such that traitors were part of a layer of separation between God and the people. So Jesus driving the traitors out of the temple becomes a kind of street theater declaring declaring for all to see through his action and the long of all the long-awaited reign of God that he believes he is being called to usher in. In this view, then, Jesus' actions perk up the religious authorities to a point where they demand a sign that would justify his authority to do this kind of action. So in veiled language, Jesus proposes a sign that the authorities take literally. Destroy this temple... And in three days I will raise it up. They think literally that he is speaking of the temple mount. But this is not at all what Jesus is talking about. And in fact, it is the trend in the Gospel of John for Jesus to speak in spiritual ways and the people and the disciples and all others to interpret things literally. In this action and by his words, Jesus does three things. He opposes and aggravates the religious authorities. He predicts his death and resurrection that the disciples will only remember after he has been resurrected. And he casts a revolutionary vision for worship in God's new reign. If his body is the temple, then those who abide in him will remain in the house of the Lord forever. Emphasizing that the worship of God really isn't about any specific location, but rather worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Jesus, by his actions and his words, is not just acting out street theater, but is liberating the people, liberating the faith, transforming the whole system, setting the people and their faith free. He will, of course, pay for it with his life. Well, I want to tell you, the blues moan is not over. The blues moan continues to this day. We know how to sing it, don't we? We have our own marketplace systems that keep people where the powers and principalities, the religious authorities of our day, want to keep them voter laws that restrict our siblings of color, equal rights restrictions left in place, the gutting of the Human Rights Act. Isn't it interesting that on this day when we hear of Jesus going in and turning the tables in the temple, that tomorrow the trial of Derek Chauvin, the man who knelt on the neck of George Floyd, begins reminding us of the violence against our African-American siblings and other people of color. Oh yeah, we live in a marketplace, don't we? 
We live in a tiered system. You know, um, maybe you heard the news last night or today in the last 48 hours that Amanda Gorman, the young, beautiful African-American woman poet who became a national sensation when she delivered her stirring poem at President Biden's inauguration in January, said that on Friday a security guard had followed her home and told her that she looked suspicious. Here's her tweet. A security guard tailed me on my walk home tonight. He demanded if I lived there because, well, you look suspicious. I showed him my keys and buzzed myself in to my building. He left, no apology. And she continues, this is the reality of black girls from obtaining... This is the reality of black girls. One day, you're called an icon. The next day, a threat. Or what about our wonderful success at vaccine distribution, getting the shots in the arms? You know, uh, it has been a success. But right now, today, 13% of whites, 11% of Asians... 7% of blacks, 5% of Hispanics have received the vaccine, and it can only be that somehow the distribution process is not getting there for our African-American Hispanic siblings. Oh, yeah, we know how to sing the blues. We know about the blues moan, don't we? But that may be where we find ourselves, but that is not where God will leave us. That is not the desire and the heart of God. The blues moan that we share is to remind us that the world is not as God would have it. It is a reality check, a reminder. God will not leave us in this place. And so we shift. And if you listen to the blues, you know that that shift comes in the song. After the blues moan, we move to a gospel shout. And we see it in today's scripture. Jesus' arrival at the temple actually signals the dawn of a new age, a new intimacy with God. A new conception of what the temple really is, not as a building, but as a person in spirit and in truth. Jesus himself is a God's word made flesh. And that old sacrificial system must end. There's no need for animals and blood and money changers. In fact, the old system only stands in the way of God's new reign. Jesus drives out the traitors and lets a thousand doves arise and scatter and fly free because the hour has come. I think it's worth remembering that the Gospel of John was written after the Roman empires had destroyed the Jerusalem temple. It was a period when both Jews and Christians struggled to make sense of the world without that sort of central sacred place. 
rabbinic Judaism eventually turned toward the temple and turned it into the home. And early Christians refigured the temple as the body of Jesus, which becomes, by the way, after the resurrection, the body of Christ, which becomes, by the way, the church as the body of Christ. We, we, my friends, are the body of Christ. And the body becomes the logos, the word made flesh, the very pattern underlying the cosmic temple of creation. So why is Jesus angry? It's the ancient anger of the prophets, a sacred zeal that moves against and beyond any sacrificial system of dead animals or dead policies or dead beliefs and toward an intimate simplicity of prayer and spirit and truth that is not bound by any particular building or system or of exchange. And it is Jesus' passion for the coming of God's jubilee, a new Passover, a new exodus from all bondage, a new freedom to abide in God as God abides in us, in a world saturated with divine glory and presence. These same visions were those of the ancient prophets, as in the prophet Micah's familiar verse, contrasting the kind of system that was destructive with being called to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. Jesus picks up this prophetic mantle in the temple where he overturns the tables and runs out the money changers. And with his anger... His heart and his mission become about dismantling those barriers and exposing them as false. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection sets aside any barrier to that abundant life, to that joy and gladness that allows us free flight. You know free flight. Surely you know And that's what Jesus was about. You know at the end where it says in the reading that nobody had to tell Jesus about human nature because he knew human nature. Nobody had to tell Jesus about his mission because he knew his mission. He was absolutely crystal clear. And when you're that grounded, then you fly free. Nothing can stop you. Today, we can step into that place with blues sensibility and engagement with scripture and a deep abiding spirituality. Thea Bowman, a Franciscan sister of perpetual adoration, was a powerful communicator, deeply passionate about Jesus, the Catholic Church, and her African-American faith. And she said that black sacred song celebrates our God our God's goodness, our God's promise, our faith and hope, our journey toward the promise. Now, I want to tell you the gospel songs that preceded the development of the genre called the blues spoke the truth to power, spoke the reality that God, things are not right in this world. But still... Black song is celebratory, and the blues is celebratory. You know, and Miss Gorman sent out another tweet on Friday, and she said, 
In a sense, he was right. I am a threat. A threat to injustice, a threat to inequality, a threat to ignorance. And anyone who speaks the truth and walks with hope is an obvious and fatal danger to the powers that be. In writing about the gospel shout, Otis Moss III tells a low country mystical story entitled Somewhere on the Island of St. John. It is a story about people who could fly. It seems that the tale begins on the island of St. John as displaced African Americans who had been mislabeled as slaves toiled in the hot sun under the devious watchful eye of a nameless slave driver. Among this group of coffee black, mocha brown, and caramel colored people was a woman tending her child who was, oh, probably six or seven, and picking cotton. She was picking cotton and exhausted from the pressure of working in the human conditions her body gave out under the stress and weight. W.E.B. Du Bois told about her fall, saying she collapsed from the weight of being a problem and property all at the same time. She collapsed under the weight of waking up every day to face the tragedy and absurdity of a people who claimed to be Christian. The slave drivers noticed when the woman had fallen and rode to where she had fallen among the cotton plants. But before they could reach her, an old man named Preacher, but whom the master called Old Devil, arrived at her side and and to the side of her six-year-old son. The little boy looked up at him and asked, Is it time? The man smiled and nodded and whispered one word into the ear of the woman and the little boy. Kuliba. The woman miraculously gained strength, and the other Africans stopped working to witness the birth of a queen. She looked at the slave drivers riding toward them, grasped her son's hand, looked toward heaven, and began to fly. The slave drivers were confounded by what they saw, and in their brief moment, the preacher began to whisper, Kuliba, Kuliba, Kuliba. The Africans rose from their fields, and their flight to freedom began. The disempowered, the discouraged, the dis- dismissed, all flying. The disinherited, disadvantaged, diseased, all flying. The slave drivers caught Preacher and beat him within an inch of his life and insisted that he bring back those who had flown away. But he just smiled and said, I can't. Once the word is in them, it will never leave them. The old man was given an ancient word. He was not the creator of the word. It was not his word. He was the steward of the mysteries, Kuliba, a word originated on the shores of West Africa that literally means God is in you. This is what free flight means. When you move beyond all your fears, when God is in you, you fly free. And you don't only fly, you shout and you dance. Martin Luther King Jr. knew this truth. 
The last speech he gave closed with these words. I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter to me now. Because I've, I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. This is what free flight means. To tear down the barriers of market systems and the things that hold our faith and our lives weighted down. To trust ourselves so fully, to know ourselves so truly that we can fly. So hear the word. God is in you. Amen.